Good morning, good morning. It's so good to be here with you. Happy Mother's Day to you mothers in the room. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. If I told you that I've got some bad news for you and some good news, if you're like most people, actually 75% of people would rather have the bad news first and then the good news. Are you like that too? That's it for me. Actually, this morning I do have some bad news for you and some good news to follow up. So let's pray real fast and then we'll get, we'll share the, the news with you. <sighs> Lord, I just pray that your words would be my words, my heart, your heart, and that you would um, elevate all the women in the room today with encouragement. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I, I saw my name on the speaking calendar for Mother's Day, and I started praying and asking the Lord, what scripture passage out there could I, could I teach from that would be an encouragement to all the women in the room? So like not just the moms, but those who were young, singles and married, working, in school, widowed, children, you know, like all the women in the room, what passage would it be? And he was like, okay, no, that's, that's a good ask. That's a good ask. Let's go with Proverbs 31. And I was like, actually, that's a horrible idea. That's the worst passage to teach from. I, I know. And he was like, no, dude, I'm just telling you now, that's the one to teach from. So, so, so everyone, that is the bad news, okay? <laughs> I've broken it to you, you know. This, from this point forward, everything is uphill from now, or downhill. Whatever the good thing is, we're now heading into the good news part, okay? So the problem with Proverbs 31 is that we always feel like it has this list of things that we aren't, aren't getting done right, right? It's, a, it's setting a value or a standard that we'll never be able to meet. And so it makes us feel insecure. It makes us feel in, like not valued or anything like that. So I was like, okay, where is the good news in this chapter? And so here's what I learned, okay? Be open-minded here for a moment. Trust me, the good news in Proverbs 31 is that this, this chapter is not about what you're not. It's about what you are, and that is valuable, okay? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to teach to that point. We're going to see by the end of this, like, do you feel like this is true? So set your, set your minds for a minute. I'm going to reframe the chapter. I want you to think about Proverbs 31 it's a mom and a son sitting down for a one-on-one. -on -one. They love each other. They're, they're just big fans of each other. And they're going to sit down and have a conversation. And this is a transcript of what they've said. The son, he's writing a book on wisdom, okay? He's compiling all the wisdom literature that he can have. And he's decided to call his book Proverbs. Okay, and he was like, you know, I wonder what the capstone should be. What should the final chapter be? I think I'll ask my mom, what is her wisdom? Okay, so that's the setting. That's a little reframe. And what else can I tell you? I can tell you that the authorship of Proverbs is mostly attributed to Solomon. King Solomon, the famous king in Israel, all right? Um, this chapter, though... Is, it has a little byline. It's by King Lemuel. King Lemuel. 
Well, scholars look, they, they kind of look at King Lemuel and they're, they're in disagreement. On the one hand, some of them say, okay, this is a random king from Israel. Uh, we don't see him in any of the other historical chronicles of kings, but it, it could be from this guy like in a land called Massa is what they might project. And then other scholars are saying, actually, no, it's not some random king. We know who it is. They believe that it's Solomon and that King Lemuel is a nickname for Solomon. So I read that. And actually, this is the, the rabbinic tradition, is that this is written by King Solomon and that it was just a nickname for him. Okay, so the interesting thing is, do you know who makes that makes his mom? If that's Solomon sitting there having the one-on-one -on -one with his mom, who, who is the mom? Well, it would be Bathsheba, right? Okay, that, there's a little name recognition there for some of you. You're like, David and Bathsheba, right? I've heard that story. And actually, in Sunday school, I was taught that David and Bathsheba had committed adultery and like a super messed up story, right? And I think to myself, little Sunday school kid, I'd be like, why would she be teaching about wisdom? Doesn't sound like she had too much. So I want to reframe Bathsheba's story for you, okay? Go with me here. Um, this is out of 2 Kings chapter 11, okay? And this is what it says. One evening, King David rolled out of bed. I was like, King David, why are you in bed in the evening? Anyhow, uh, one evening, King David rolled out of bed. He went out onto his balcony. He could see a woman doing her ritual bathing uh, and wondered who she was. So he Googled her. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, no. He sent somebody to go figure out who she was. And the search results came back. And it said that this is Bathsheba, wife of Uriah. Even knowing that fact, he sent some messengers over to get her, took her back to the palace. He slept with her. She got pregnant. He had her husband killed. And then they had the baby who died at seven days old. And then fast forward, baby Solomon was born later. Okay, so we reframe this from Bathsheba the adulteress, which I learned in Sunday school, to Bathsheba, a woman who is practicing her faith and was taken by all the king's men and disrespected, to say the least. So here then, fast forward back to the son sitting with his mom. He's respecting her. He's saying, you're a woman of value. What you have to say, it matters. I want to hear it, and I want to write it down. So... Now, now Proverbs 31 seems a little cooler, huh? Yeah? I mean, now we want to know what does this mom say, right? So um, what do I want to tell you? She, she actually starts with a leadership summit to the king, which I found interesting because this does not get much airtime. We usually fast forward to the part where she has the like, checklist of how to find a great wife, but she starts with a leadership summit which I think is so cool because a queen mom, uh, you know, sometimes we think they don't have much to say, but boy, they've been around the palace a long time. They've seen some stuff, right? 
So she's seeing her lifetime of things that she's learned about leadership in the palace, and she wants her son, who is a king, she wants him to know these leadership principles. So what does the queen mum have to say about leadership? She starts in verse 2, and she says, My son Lemuel, you were born in answer to my prayers. Listen carefully. Don't waste your strength on women. <laughs> She's going to start with that. Don't waste your strength on women, on those who ruin kings. So her first leadership tip, avoid distracting, destructive relationships. I wonder about the context of this. I wonder if she's like thinking back to her own time. You know, when David was like connecting with her and then he had to deal with like the pregnancy drama and then he had to figure out how to kill her husband, marry her. Then he had to bring her into the palace and introduce her to the other eight wives he had. I have seen enough of The Bachelor to know how that how that went. <laughs> Not a pretty thing, right? So I'm thinking maybe she has seen that your best leadership doesn't come out of seasons like that when you're super distracted by all the drama going on, right? You're not like focused as a king. So he starts with that. And she moves on to leadership tip number two. This is out of uh, verse four and five. It's not for kings, Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol, for if they drink, they may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. So leadership number two from her. Sober leaders bring wisdom and justice. Sober leaders bring wisdom and justice. I think a queen mom has probably seen leadership in all stages of sobriety, right? In her, in her years in the palace, there's been probably days that were not so sober. And I kind of think she's seen the better leadership decisions coming out of the leaders who were sober, right? I love that she's got uh, a heart for the oppressed and that she... She desires wisdom for people who are needing justice and who need the law fulfilled in, a, in the right way. So she goes on with this. This is her third point. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Speak up for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up, judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So leadership number two, three, sorry. Use your privilege to protect others. Use your privilege to protect others. So is Bathsheba still speaking here from her lived experience? Had she wished that there was somebody in the palace who would have spoken up for her? Or maybe protected her husband Uriah? She wasn't considered poor and needy in like the standard sense that we would think, but I wonder if she wasn't able to advocate for herself against all the king's men. You know, maybe she needed somebody who was there to protect her. So she's telling her son, if you're strong, help the weak. If you're secure, help the insecure. If you're resourced, help those who are not. 
And if you can speak, speak for those who can't. I love thinking of, if this is Bathsheba, that God has redeemed her from a woman who felt like a victim to somebody who felt valued. She's sitting with a king. She's, she's giving a leadership summit <laughs> to a king, right? And he, God is telling her, like, good news. Your voice is valuable. Your voice, your voice is valuable. And so, surprisingly, I picked this out as my first truth about defining value, the, the good news of Proverbs 31. And, you know, even if scholars think that this is some rando queen mom from, like, you know, Massa, I still feel like this has value, right? Leader, these leadership tips came from wisdom. And it's telling us that the female voice has value, and it's good news for us. Okay, so now we're going to go into the part that you hate. I, I know everybody's just resentful about, like, the, the next section here, so... Uh, don't push stop if you're watching online. Like, let's keep going. Let's keep going. The problem I had said earlier is that people look at this ideal list and they feel like they don't measure up against it, right? But I want you to look at it in a different way. Remember, good news, Proverbs 31 is not about what you're not. It's about what you are, which is valuable. So um, the queen mom is going to have a a conversation about girls. We knew that this would happen, right? Because even kings need to hear their moms talk about women, right? So uh, the first, first verse of this section says, who can find a valiant woman? Her price is far above precious stones. That's verse 10. Uh, other translations you may be familiar with say, who can find an excellent wife? Her value is far, or her her price is far above rubies. So the original Hebrew for woman here uh, is Isha. And that can be translated as either woman or wife. So the first time, there's a little thing about how you break down a Bible and understand its words. And you look at how it's used originally. The very first time that that word is being used sets, sets the example for how you're going to translate it. And the first time that Isha is used is when Eve was created. Okay, so woman. This is woman. And the, the valiant part, that one is Shail, which means strength and valor. Um, if you know your Old Testament, you may have known the phrase, the mighty men of valor. They always seem to be charging off and, you know, rescuing the kingdom these mighty men of valor, that's the same phrase used here. So it's like strength. It's like an army, a force, right? So, so the mom is saying like, go find the valiant woman. This is a woman that is so valuable, so valuable. It's far beyond precious gems. So it moves, like we've reframed this section here, not talking about how to be a great wife. It's talking about how to be a valiant woman, all right? So that's awesome, huh? Yes, I know, okay. She's saying, let's define it so that you can go find it, okay? Let's define it and then go find it. So I love that. The first thing we're gonna notice about a valiant woman is her work is valuable. Her work is valuable. 
This is what it says about that. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant ship bringing food from afar. And I thought that sounded like DoorDash, actually, to me. <laughs> bringing food from afar, man. Uh, she goes to inspect a field, she buys it, and with her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late in the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread and her fingers twisting fiber. So this gal, she's good with money, right? She's got her eye on her stock portfolio. She, she reinvests her 401k, right? She maximizes that. She knows what her online bank accounts look like. And we see that she's, she's also working hard with the tools of her industry. For this gal, it's textiles. So she's got the wool and the flax going late at night. But for you guys, like if you're teachers, right, you're scrolling Pinterest and getting great ideas. You're lesson planning. For business people, you're building your slide decks. You're crunching your data and making a great spreadsheet, right? Um, you're reading up on the latest trends. And for moms and parents, Oh my goodness, I started to itemize what you guys do, and then I was like, oh, wow. It's just a bunch of learning. Learning how to get your kid to sleep, how to potty train them, how to wean them, and then like obey, how to read, how to obey, how to drive, how to obey. Like it just, it just keeps going on, right? So you, you, you guys, her work is valuable, and you are doing work that is valuable as well. Your work it, this is like, it's just amazing. Scripture also is not advocating a poor work-life balance. Like, we see that she's working late at night, but remember, like, she didn't have electricity. She, she had to light the lamp because her plate was full, and her duties just didn't stop because the sun went down. It would be like us in the Pacific Northwest in the winter, closing everything down at four o'clock. Like, that's it. You know, sun's down, you know, lights, lights out, we're done with the day. No, it's like, she's, she's a busy gal. She's got stuff to do, and she gets it done. So it also talks about how she works around the house. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. She plans the work, day's work for her servant girls. I mean, for me, that's like putting on a, a pot of coffee if, for John, like before he gets up. It, we beat our, ourselves down to the coffee maker and see who could turn it on first. And building a honey-do list. And then, you know, of course, then I do the same thing when I get here to work, right? No, kidding. Don't do that. Um, I thought of the Pacific Northwest here in this section as well. It says she has no fear of winter for her household. Everyone's got warm clothes. She watches carefully over everything in her household. Nothing suffers from laziness. Does that resonate for you guys here in the Pacific Northwest? Think of us. We've been trained winter after winter. You know, like, it, get the cocoa and the candles. Make sure you've got enough, right, before the winter comes. And here in Woodenville, like, we've got bottled water and we've got the wine. You know, we're, we're in Woodenville. We've got a stockpile. We're ready for winter. And gosh, you know, such a, such a breeding ground for valiant women here in, here in Seattle. So um, she knows everything about her household. She knows everything. I thought about that. I'm sure some of you can relate. I feel like I know every sound 
in my house, and I can identify everything, right? I know who's up in the night based on which door squeak I hear, right? You know whose foot, footstep is coming down the hall because you know er, the sound of every footstep. I know when the jelly beans are being opened and also the tortilla chips, right? <laughs> so, I, I, it, stupid, stupid story. I was downstairs drinking coffee the other morning and nobody else was up yet. And I heard a plink upstairs. And I thought to myself, I know that sound because I've heard it before, but I, I don't hear it very often. And then I thought, the hairbrush fell on the floor. It was dumb, but it was like, I, could, I know my home in such a, at a granular micro level that I can identify everything in the house. Why is this like a valiant woman? It is because when you know the condition of your house like that, you know how to prepare for things. You know how to get grandma her prescription before she has another episode, right? You know that your kid's about to grow out of their snow boots, so you get the next size up before the winter starts, right? You know when to refill the jelly beans. Like, these are important duties, girls. We, we, it is a blessing to others that we have such a microscopic view of our homes and that we know the condition of our homes. Her work is valuable. Your work is valuable. Your work is valuable. What's a valiant woman like in relationship? Does she have time for any of them in between spinning wool, right, and, and inspecting the fields? Well, in the, in the ancient culture back then, it was expected that, wives, that women would become wives and moms. Um, but that's not necessarily a prerequisite for being a valiant woman. In fact, out of the whole chapter, we only hear about the husband a few times. Here's what it says. Or sorry, this is what we can learn, is that her influence is valuable. We've learned her voice was valuable, her work was valuable, and now her influence is valuable. Her husband, it talks about her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. I've always loved this section, actually. It's captured my imagination to think of someone blessing her husband all the days of her life, all of them. So it's like before I met John and I was learning how to um, tell the truth, how I could drive safely, learning how to drive safely, learning how to make amazing chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> like all of those days went into something that is good for him and not harmful, right? And I even thought about widows. So like after your husband is gone, do those days also bring him good? And I thought, well, yeah, maybe like the way you talk about him the way you honor his memory. What do you do with all of his baseball cards that he left behind, right? All of these things are ways, all of my days can bring good to him. I just think that's an amazing influence, right? And it even talks about how the wife can bring um, a good reputation to her husband as well. And that is certainly something that is mutual, right? 
So the influence goes far beyond just her household, though. And I thought of so many of you when I was studying this section. Sometimes I get really choked up when I read scripture. So, sorry, I'll overcome. It talks about how your influence goes out into the community. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. So she's generous and compassionate. She's clothed with strength and dignity and laughs without fear for the future. So she's grounded and full of hope. And I love that the Lord stuck in there that she has a sense of humor. (laughs) When she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instructions with kindness. Another translation says that the law of mercy is on her tongue, which is so beautiful, isn't it? Think about this influence going out into the community in all of those ways. You know, good news, your influence is so valuable, so valuable. Your influence matters. The poor are helped. Needs are met. Those around you are given hope and security and wisdom. The law of mercy is spoken, which is like God's heart for the people around you, right? Everyone that you touch, he is touching through you with your mercy and your kindness and your wisdom. Your influence is valuable and it can be life-changing for those around you. So closing up, here's the last piece of good news I want to share with you. And then I'm going to have a challenge for you. (laughs) Good news. From Proverbs 31, believe it or not, you are worthy of appreciation. You are worthy of appreciation. It says charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Dude, the best part of all of this is that our value is not based on our appearance, right? (laughs) Kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm sorry. No, the the last point is, is that, wait, our voice is valuable? Our work is valuable, our influence is valuable, but the thing that is to be greatly praised is our fear of the Lord. Our relationship of the Lord is the thing that we're supposed to be celebrating. All the other things, super great stuff. People are fed, snow boots are gotten, like grandma's got her prescriptions, all that kind of stuff, like so good. But the thing that's to be really celebrated is our faith, right? And how that, how the Lord is able to work through us. So go with me for a minute here. Why is that? It feels like we can impact our world for good based on our own strength sometimes, right? Like I can be Kelly. I, I heard about Kelly McPherson bringing meals to probably three or four different families last week alone. She just stepped in on that way and was blessing those around her. So like, 
Let's say I'm Kelly and I'm serving and I'm blessing, I'm feeding, right? But the thing that's so dynamic is that when Kelly is in relationship with the Lord, he's moving in those spaces for eternal purposes. Not just temporary, your stomach is full purposes, but like I am blessing you and I'm strengthening this person through faith. So when we're close with the Lord, we can know his thoughts and words. We can know how his heart beats and breaks and ours becomes just like his. So then we're moving around our community with the Lord's view, his heart, and we become the hands and heart of Jesus to the people that we're in influence with, right? So our impact goes from beyond just like earthly goodness to godly, eternal goodness, okay? That's something I want you to like grasp hold of. It's not just temporary goodness that you're doing here. It is eternal work that you are doing here. That is greatly to be praised, greatly to be praised. Um, I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge for you. Actually, first, an example. Who can name a little quiz here? There's one woman in the Bible that has the title Isha Shail, woman of valor. Who do you think that is? In the whole scripture, who do you think earned that title? Close, super close. Oh, I heard it. Ruth. It was Ruth. Okay, so I want you to know this thing. <laughs> about Ruth that's so exciting to me. More good news. The thing about Ruth, yes, she was the one who got the Woman of Valor title named on her, bestowed on her. But you know what? She was not a woman of privilege when this happened. She was destitute. She actually was widowed, so she was a single gal who had pledged her life to serve her mother-in-law. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and then, and her mother-in-law's God, right? Like, she pledged her life for that purpose. Was she rich? No, not privileged at all. The food that she ate was the gleaning stuff that the farmers would leave in the wheat fields. She would go up and gather whatever had been left on the ground. That's what she ate. She had no children rising up and calling her blessed. She didn't even have a husband who was well-known at the city gates. So none of those things are the things that actually makes a woman of valor. What it is, is her faith. And so Boaz, who was the guy who actually fell in love with her and wanted to marry her, he's the one who said this about her. I'm sure he was on bended knee and like, will you accept this rose? But basically, he said to her... <laughs> In Ruth chapter 3, all of my people in, my, in this town know that you're an Eshe Shael, a woman of noble character. Will you accept this rose? I'm sure that's how it went. But, the, but out of all of scripture, so I don't want anyone here feeling like, gosh, I can't measure up. Proverbs 31, just, you know, it's too hard, can't do it. If you're crawling on the ground, gathering gleaned food, single, childless, 
all that, you still, you still can be a woman of noble character. I love it. I love that that's how the Lord defines valiant womanhood. And, you know, I'm, I'm the most surprised person here in the, in the room to look to Proverbs 31 now and think, gosh, I want to be just like her, <laughs> you know? But not for any of the reasons that I once thought that it described, not, not once. So, okay, so here comes your challenge, you guys. Your challenge is this. There's only one instruction verse in the entire chapter here. There's only one thing that's like, okay, go and do this now. And that's the um, 31st verse. Reward her for all she's done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. Another way to say that is, uh, let her work be known in the city gates. Appreciate her. Value her out loud, not just in, secretly in your heart. Reward her and celebrate her and affirm her. So, Arbert, did you know that in Jewish homes, every Friday night, they have a Shabbat meal? And as part of that meal, everyone in the household sings a song to the woman of the house. They sing Proverbs 31. They sing this to her. And I don't think it's that every woman in a Jewish home checks off some, you know, list, like she's got the wool and flax thing, you know, she's rocking the wool and flax. I don't think that that's it. I think that it's, they're celebrating her character and encouraging her for her value, right? So they're getting this right. I think what we should do is do something like that. Reward her, celebrate her. How can you do that? Well, Mother's Day is an amazing place to start, right? You guys are writing a card and saying, like, how much you appreciate either your wife or your mom. It's a great place to start. I want you to take it maybe another step further. Affirm a woman's ideas in the boardroom. Go to her LinkedIn page and recommend her. Support her business. Frequent her business. Give it a Yelp review that just like is amazing. Go to the Amazon book review. Leave something, um, a comment there that affirms her work. When she has ideas that you applaud, say it out loud. Just don't think it in your heart. Shoot her a text, right? Um, I have this thing that's like go beyond the like, which is a big step. I know it takes time. It's putting yourself out there and you're like putting your own name to something saying that this is a value. But when you go beyond the like and you write a comment or you affirm her ideas, it builds her up in the community. Okay? Retweet her. <laughs> um, and then this is my favorite part. Um, you know the, the grapevine and how it works. It seems like news kind of travels back to somebody, right? And you're like, hey, did you hear what Lori said about you? Hey, did you hear about what Karen said about you? And sometimes when that happens to me, like, hey, did you hear what Karen said about you? I, I might think, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, like I'm like ready for bad news. What if we populated the grapevine with praise? right? 
like, let's populate the grapevine so that when Lisa hears, like, did you hear what Allison said about you? What comes back to her is like affirmation. I appreciate your work. I appreciate your heart and your service. You are doing a good and godly work, right? So that's your challenge. I want you to be all about this. Every Friday, set your alarm, right? The Shabbat, everybody in the Jewish households are praising the women. You, you do that too. You, you choose a woman. You, you celebrate somebody at that point. Maybe it's the woman sitting across the table from you. Maybe it's somebody on LinkedIn. Celebrate that person. And then if you want to take it to the next level, celebrate their voice, their work, and their influence. Their good and godly influence. All right. So, yeah, good news, right? Came out of Proverbs 31, you guys. Can you believe it? We found stuff. And I think the Lord, I'm, I'm stoked that he actually put this verse as a challenge for me to find this, the good stuff out of it. I love it that our impact in this world can be used for his purposes, right? It's his voice. It's his work. And it's his influence that we want to be spreading. This is the good news of Proverbs 31.